Good morning. I trust that some of you were telling the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Because those who know it love to hear it again. Do you ever get tired of hearing the good news of our Redeemer? Well, that will be our theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Last week, we began our evangelism sermon series. It's going to take us five Sundays. And we heard from Jesus himself that the harvest is plentiful, which is also the name of our sermon series. And today, we're going to talk more about telling that old, old story of Jesus and his love. And so if you have your Bible, will you please turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. While you turn there, our passage is also on the back of your bulletin if you received a bulletin. And in our foyer, we've got free Bibles if you'd like a copy of God's Word to have in your hand or to give away to a friend or a neighbor. Or maybe inspired by our evangelism sermon series, you'll take a Bible and give it to someone and challenge them to read through the Gospel of Mark with you or some other section of God's Word. Today we're in Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. Uh, Let me pray first, and then I will read it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Thank you that the main message you send us into this world with is love. The world says they want to be loved, and yet true love is what you did for the world through your son, Jesus Christ. You loved the world so much. You saw us stuck in our sin, and you sent your son to die in our place so that by grace through faith in him, we might believe and have life. Thanks for that. It's a good story to tell. Help us tell it well. And Father, as we hear from your word, help us hear the story well today that our hearts and minds might be changed, made more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So now, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive your words with joy and gladness and obedience and hope. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. This is the good and glorious word. Of our Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, this is the plan. If someone you love is going to be saved. This is the plan. There's no other plan. This is the path 
This is the method. It's the strategy. These are the tactics. If the people you love and know are going to become saved, this is the plan. Look at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, that's the goal. That's the plan. We want people to be saved by Jesus. We want people to be forgiven of their sins and set free from the slavery to sin. Born again, raised to new life, given a blessed hope, and redeemed. If you have received that, you want others to receive that. There's nothing better. No one got anything for Christmas this past year that was better than this. There's nothing on sale this year that could come close to someone being redeemed, having their life changed, having hope in a hopeless world, comfort in a volatile world, clarity in a world of confusion, Christ in a world of chaos. This is what we want. Lives changed. We want to share what we've received. We want to get closer in our community, in our neighborhood, in our church, to the reality of the age to come, the promise, our promised forever future. We see this in Revelation 7, a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. Let me read. It says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from where? Every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the promise. That's the future. That's where the world is headed. This is the plan. God's people from every nation, tribe, people, and language worshiping forevermore. Now God has people scheduled for salvation everywhere on the planet. Tribe, nation, people, tongue. Right now, they're in the harvest fields and Jesus says, go get them. That means there are people in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, who in 2024 will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Their lives will be changed. Their eternity will be different. They will have hope. They will have peace. They will have joy. They will be saved by Jesus this year. And if that is going to happen, this is the plan. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But when Paul wrote Romans, he had a specific audience in mind as he lays out this pathway. He had his own people, the Jewish people in Israel, in mind. And Paul, when he says this, when he gives the pathway for people to be saved, he's sad. We see it in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Not everyone who heard it believed. Not everyone who heard it responded. And it says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Not only is Paul saying this here, but this is a quote from Isaiah. And in the gospel of John, the same verse is quoted 
to remind the reader of the Gospel of John that even though Jesus himself was the herald, even though Jesus himself came to the Jewish people, not all of them believed. And as Paul, as he's writing Romans at the end of his life, had gone on a missionary journey to the Gentile peoples, he went to the Jews and then the Gentiles, he knows that not everyone who has heard this message has believed. So Paul's going to lay out the process. The process he knew was needed for Jews to believe and the process that is needed for Gentiles to believe. And the process that is needed for the people you love to believe. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. And as we focus on evangelism this year, this is our only strategy. This is our only tool. There are no other gimmicks. This is the process that God gave us that God uses for people to become saved. So, let's study this passage and see God's simple plan laid out for someone to be saved. We've got five moves, five moves, right? Preach, hear, believe, call, saved. All right, preach, hear, believe, call, saved. That's the process of evangelism. Look at verses 13 through 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Did you see the process there? The gospel is preached. People hear. People believe. In their belief, they call and then they are saved. And I'm going to assume that you want people saved. If you don't want your unsaved loved ones saved, you have to repent of that sin and ask the Lord to give you his heart for the lost. Jesus looked out on the harvest fields. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and his compassion welled up inside of him and he went to the cross to die so that they could be harvested. So if you don't want people to be saved, you've got to go to the Lord with that. But if you do want people to be saved, then you're on mission with God. And here is the process. Let's walk through it. Preach, hear, believe, call, saved. Number one, preach. Preach it. The word preach here usually means the specific activity of those who are called by God to preach the word in an official manner. Like in the Bible, John the Baptist Jesus and the apostles who brought the message of Christ to the world through their preaching ministry. Paul also uses this word for the men who are installed as elders in local churches, like Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. So it's a formal position, preachers of the gospel, preaching the gospel from God's word in the local church. Now look at verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So Paul knows that over history, preachers had already been sent by God to his people, and not everyone believed. He was thinking of the apostles, and before them, the prophets, who had brought the gospel to the people of Israel. And for those preachers, he says they've got beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Look at the middle of verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Paul is not talking about nice-looking feet, right? Paul's not talking 
about nice-looking feet. This isn't a, hey, everybody take their socks and shoes off. Let's look and see who's got nice feet. He's quoting Isaiah. This is poetic. If you bring good news, that's a beautiful thing. If you bring good things to someone, your feet are considered beautiful. God had sent preachers to his people, but not all believed. So there's a formal preaching ministry of God's people that God uses to get the gospel to those who need it. So immediately we think of our worship service, where the gospel is preached by an elder of the church so that people might hear it. But it's not just the preaching of a local church. It's not just what I'm doing right now. It's the entire worship service. We're not just preaching the word. We're singing the word. We're declaring the word. We're reading scripture together and saying God's word out loud. We're praying in light of the word. We're sharing the good news with each other. We're telling the old, old story of Jesus and his love. When we gather for worship on the Lord's day, we are all proclaiming the gospel. And when we're doing that, Paul says we've got beautiful feet. Every Christian is called to share the good news. We are all ambassadors. We are all heralds. Consider passages like 1 Peter 3.15, which is the fifth and final message in our sermon series a few weeks from now. It says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You're an ambassador of hope. You're a herald of hope. You and I, redeemed by Jesus, go into this world, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, on the bus, in our schools, and we've got hope that the world needs, and God sends us into those locations so that other people might see the hope we have and ask us, Why do you have hope? In 2024, you're not supposed to have hope. Why do you have hope? And then we have a chance to share the good news. So we all are sent by God into the world to preach the good news, to proclaim the good news. A few years ago over Christmas break, our family was really sick. And I remember someone dropping off a meal at our door. He was preaching the good news of mac and cheese. He had beautiful feet. I didn't look at his feet, but he had beautiful feet. A delivery person with something good. Isn't that beautiful? Well, warm mac and cheese is one of my favorite things. But we're set into this world to bring the good news of salvation to a world that needs it. The good news of hope, the good news of peace, the good news of joy. And it's beautiful. And when you do that, when you bring the good news to people, your feet are beautiful poetically. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's why it's our mission at Cornerstone Church. To glorify God by making as many people as possible fully devoted disciples of Jesus. And step number one is people responding to the good news. Now, here's a great way to do this. In addition to personally sharing the good news with people in your life, our children's ministry does this all the time. Every Sunday morning and many Sunday evenings, our children's ministry 
invites the children of our neighbors, the children of our kids' friends, the children of this community into our church, and they come, and some of them don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we're here, and if you volunteer in that ministry or if you pray for that ministry, you're sharing the good news with those who need it. If the Lord lays it on your heart in 2024 to serve in children's ministry, reach out to us. Reach out to children's ministry or to an elder, and we will connect you with that. And you'll be able to literally have beautiful feet on a Sunday sharing the good news with the children, helping us make disciples. But if they're going to respond to the gospel here at church or in your neighborhood, they need to hear it. So number one, preach, herald, be ambassadors of the good news. Number two, Hear. Look at the end of verse 14. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We preach so that people might hear. We share the good news with others so that people can hear it. Hear what? Look at verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's what we want people to hear. The word of Christ. God's word, the story of Jesus coming to save sinners. Anything in God's word can point to Jesus and the explicit news of the gospel, the information about how to be saved, that's what people need to hear. And faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you need help, as I said last week, we've got these black gospel tracts. Now, yes, you can give these out to people. But also, I would encourage you to take one of these and invite someone you know to read it with you. So you can take two. Hey, you want to know why I have hope in 2024? It's because of the gospel. What's the gospel? Will you spend five minutes with me and read through this? I put another 100 gospel tracts up here for you to take. I have hundreds more. We'll be giving them out each week during our evangelism series. This is a great tool. This is the information that people need to hear, a summary of the gospel, so that they might have the faith that comes from hearing. The gospel track explains the good news that God is holy. Mankind has sinned. Jesus came to save sinners and humans respond in faith. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So what we need here, if we're going to go out into the world and proclaim the good news so that people might hear it, what we're going to need here, and one of the things I want us to think about this year, is that we need to be a culture of evangelism. This church family can be a culture of evangelism, an environment where everyone knows we're trying to share the gospel with our friends. We might be inviting our friends along to church or to Bible study or for our, over to our house for coffee. And we want to have a culture of evangelism, and that's the main point of this book called Evangelism from the Nine Mark series. It's by J. Max Stiles. I really highly recommend this. I have two or three of them in my office, a uh, little book recommendation shelf in the hallway. And if you want to grab it, you got to promise to read it, but you can take those copies if you're going to read them. I want to read just a few sections from this book because this could be our church. If we had a culture of evangelism, we would all know we're, we're preaching the gospel, we're sharing the gospel, and if we see you invite people here, we're going to be ready to love them in Jesus' name because we know what you're doing. We know you're loving your neighbors and friends. So first from the book, a definition of evangelism. It's teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Let me say it again. What is evangelism? It's teaching the gospel with the aim 
to persuade. Getting the information out, hoping that hearts are persuaded by it. That's it. And that means you don't need a response. You don't need someone to answer. You just need to explain the gospel with the hope to persuade. And we persuade all the time. So you're good at persuading. Did you see the new movie? It was great. You should go see it. That's aiming to persuade. Hey, there's a new restaurant in town. I tried it and I think you would like it. Why don't you go check it out? That's aiming to persuade. Hey, what game are you playing on your phone or your video game system? I played this one. It's so much fun. That's aiming to persuade. We persuade all the time. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. That's evangelism. Second, the truth about how most people come to faith. Another quote from this book. Let me read this. And I want you to think about your loved ones who don't know Jesus. He says, the fact is most people come to faith through the influence of family members or small group Bible studies or a conversation with a friend after a church service. Most people come to faith through Christians intentionally talking about the gospel. That's how most people come to faith. So if we have a culture of evangelism here, it means that some of you will be inviting non-Christians to church. If you're a non-Christian here, welcome. We love you in Jesus' name. We're going to worship God like we believe it here. And we want you to see that. We want you to hear the hope we have. We want you to see the love we share with each other and how we pray for each other and how we encourage one another and how we're glad to see each other. I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll hear the good news of Jesus and believe. And we want to have a culture where we all know that some people might be inviting their friends to church, to Bible study, or to your homes. And when we see you with someone, we're going to try and create that environment where they feel loved and looked for, where they feel welcome. It's one of the reasons we're doing a greet time all five weeks of our evangelism sermon series. Some of you are already tired of it. Don't get tired of greeting people in the name of the Lord. We want people to feel welcome. We're trying to create a culture of evangelism. And we know that you're hoping to share Jesus with some of your loved ones, so we want to love them in Jesus' name. And when we see someone in our row that we don't know, let's introduce ourselves. Let's say hi. And you're allowed to say this because I forget names sometimes. Can you just say, what was your name again? You know what it communicates? Yes, that you forgot their name. You know what else it communicates? That you still want to know their name. And you want to use their name. And you want to greet them with their name. You want to look for them next time. That's love. We can do this. And when everyone is on the same mission, sharing Jesus with our neighbors, we will have a culture of evangelism. And as we're praying and rooting for each other and encouraging each other, we will see the harvest. Because we'll be doing the plan God gave us. Well, third and finally from the book, the main point, this culture of evangelism. And I want to share from the foreword. The man who wrote the book is J. Max Stiles, and the foreword is written by someone who went to his church one time. And the author said, or the, the foreword says, Not long thereafter, I had the privilege of being overseas in the location where Mac leads a ministry to college students and serves as one of the elders of a church. I was preaching at the church one morning, and after I finished, Mac started introducing me to all sorts of people. Listen to this. I love this. This could be us. Here's the general gist of how all of those conversations went, although I've changed the names. Hi, my name is Abdul, one man said to me. I grew up as a Muslim, but a couple of years ago, God graciously saved me from my sins 
and myself through Christ. That's wonderful, I responded. How did you hear the gospel? Through my friendship with Mac, Abdul said. He asked me one day if I wanted to read through the gospel of Mark with him. I told him, yeah. And within a few months, the Holy Spirit had opened my heart to believe. Well, then I turned to another man who introduced himself. Hey, I'm Rajesh. I was a Hindu all my life until someone invited me to this church. I didn't know anything about Christianity until I got here. But Mac and others started meeting with me and showing me who Christ is and what Christ has done. I was overwhelmed. And after exploring all sorts of questions that I had with Mac, I trusted in Christ for my salvation. Behind Abdul and Rajesh was Matthew. Matthew said to me, I grew up a nominal Christian, devoid of any relationship with Christ. But last year, God opened my eyes to what faith in Christ truly means. I repented of my sins and believed in him. Let me guess, I said. Mac led you to Christ, right? No. Abdul and Rajesh did. They spent hours with me in Scripture, showing me what it means to follow Christ. Then Matthew asked me, Can I introduce you to Stephen? He's a friend of mine who's exploring Christianity right now. And he came with me to the church gathering this morning. This is the plan for people to hear the gospel proclaimed from us, to see the hope in us and ask us for a reason for the hope that we believe and to come to church or a Bible study or a coffee shop or wherever it is, your house, and read through the gospel of Mark, read through a gospel track and get exposed to the good news. So that lives might be changed. In this book, it's a great book. He describes the features of a church like this. A culture, it's a culture motivated by love of Jesus, not our own fame. We're not going out there talking about how great the church is or how great we are. We're going out there talking about how great Jesus is. Amen? It's a culture that understands the danger of entertainment. We're not trying to win people to a program or a gimmick. It's a culture that sees people clearly. We're not labeling people. Everyone is a human made in the image of God who needs a Savior. That's it. That's who they are. And we're a culture that pulls together as one. We're on mission together, and we're praying for each other. So will you join us next week at our house of prayer at 915 as we pray for the mission globally and locally? He lists more things, but we can be this. It involves sharing the good news so that people might hear it at church, Bible study, growth group, lunch table, break room, over coffee, and they've got to hear the good news so that they might believe it. So preach, second, so that people might hear. And third, if they hear, they might believe. Look at verse 14 again. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And this is really the game changer. Belief. We want people to believe. Not just hear the good news. Not just hear it explained. But we want to encourage them and pray for them and, and push them towards believing. We want to let them know that they have to believe. It can't be their parents' faith. It can't be their neighborhood's faith. It can't be their country's faith. It has to be their personal faith. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? It's what people are trusting and it's what people are hoping in. That's belief. 
whether or not they think they need a Savior. Consider John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Everyone who believes should not perish but have eternal life. We don't just want people to hear. We want people to believe. We want to preach the good news with the aim to persuade. That's evangelism. But here's the problem. It's a sad reality. You can't change someone's heart. In fact, you can't even change your own heart. I can't change my heart. I can't like Brussels sprouts. I can't hate bacon. My heart is fixed towards bacon, away from Brussels sprouts. And in the same way, the human heart cannot be changed by us, by our tricks, our gimmicks, our strategies, not even having all the best answers to all the hardest questions people will ask about faith. No, we can't change hearts, but God can, and he does. And so when we pray that God would change hearts, we're asking the only one who can change a heart to do what only he can do, but what he loves to do. So be prepared, study the word, get good answers ready. But remember that only God can change a heart. So we've got to be praying and trusting God. And then the results aren't up to us. We just have to be faithful in sharing and trusting God for the harvest. And that harvest will include people who have been preached the good news, who have heard it, who believe it, they will, fourth, call on the name of the Lord. Look at verse 13, this point four call. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When a heart believes, that heart now knows who to call on. Who are you going to call? Pop quiz. There's an, if there's an emergency, what number are you supposed to call? 911. You got it. You know who to call in an emergency. I looked at what you call in other countries, and it's pretty streamlined. A lot of countries have very simple call codes for emergencies, except in Chad, which is a country near Egypt. All right? In Chad, if you need the police, you dial 17. If you need the fire department, you dial 18. And if you need an ambulance, what do you think you call? You're supposed to say 19, right? 17, 18, 19. In Chad, if you need the police, 17. If you need the fire department, 18. And if you need an ambulance, oh boy, it's 22514242. I hope you never are in an emergency in Chad. I did not make this up. I don't make any of this stuff up. You know who to call in an emergency. Our unsaved loved ones are in a moral emergency, a spiritual emergency. They entered 2024 with no reason for hope that will endure. With no hope that they could have peace in a confusing world or clarity in the midst of chaos. And they're putting their hopes in all manner of things. They're calling on all manner of gods to save them. They're believing in something. But there's only one way to be saved. And we, by grace, know it. 
And we're to go out into the world and make it as simple as 911. Call on Jesus. That's what we are going to tell people. Because there's a moral and spiritual emergency in human hearts. And as we engage in evangelism, we just want people to learn the one true way. For some Americans, they're trusting in government. It's 2024, an election year. Yay. (laughs) We're going to find out real soon if people we know and love are trusting with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength in the government. It's a year where everyone's going to be talking about where is their hope? What is the real problem in the world? All those conversations are opportunities for you to deflect from politics and get to Jesus. Because Jesus is king. And he is the true hope for this world. Some people will put all their hope in a candidate. Some people will trust in their health. And this year they'll lose that. They won't know where to trust. Some people will trust in their money or their career or their connections. Everyone trusts in something. We want people to realize that they need a savior and to call on Jesus. And that's the sign of true faith. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what happens when they believe. Fifth and finally, and briefly saved. Verse 13, one last time, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The main problem in this world is not injustice or hate or inequality, or climate, or corruption in government. The main problem in this world is sin, and we're all sinners. There's a story that's told over and over, and I've heard it. I can't confirm that it actually happened, but it sounds good. The story goes like this, that in the early 1900s, the newspaper, the Times of London, posed a question to several prominent authors. And the question they asked to report in the newspaper later that week was, what's wrong with the world today? And one well-known author, G.K. Chesterton, reportedly responded this way. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. Whether or not that actually happened, I I wish it did. I hope it did, because it's true. We're the problem. Sin is the problem. Individual people are their own worst problem. And they're looking for saviors everywhere else. And we know the savior. And we're going into the harvest field to proclaim the one true hope. The main answer is a savior. And this should humble us. Yes, we have the answer. But we were also the problem. And that should humble you. Like we sang, to this I hold. My hope is only Jesus For my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Can you sing that? Will you repeat after me? We'll say it together. I'll say it once and then we'll say it together. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's say it. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. When we go into the world with evangelism on our hearts and minds, praying for our loved ones, we have the answer, but we should be humble. Christ has humbled us. His love and grace have humbled us. We want to persuade others to trust him. We want to invite them to hear the gospel, to read the Bible, to come to church, to discuss faith over coffee, to consider the truths of the gospel, because this is the only plan, friends, for your loved ones to become saved. This is the only plan. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear 
without someone, maybe you or me, preaching. So think about your loved ones and friends as we wrap up. If they've never heard the good news, get the word of Christ in front of them. Give them a Bible. Ask them to read it with you. Go through the gospel tract with them. Share a verse you're going to memorize in scripture memory this year with them. Ask them what they trust in, what they hope in. If they've never heard, get the word in front of them. And if they have heard, then ask them to believe it. Challenge them to believe it. Challenge them to stop putting their trust in things that will fail them and challenge them to believe it. And if they believe, help them understand the gospel. That they're not saving themselves, they're calling on the Lord Jesus for salvation. They're trusting in Jesus and not their own track record. And then if they're saved, help them find a good gospel-preaching church. And if they're local, I don't know, Cornerstone's a good one. Bring them here. Bring them to your Bible study. Meet with them after work or before work in a Bible study. But get them into a place where God's word is discussed. And if they're saved and they come here, then we'll help them become fully devoted disciples of Jesus. So friends, this is the plan. This is the plan. May God make us in 2024 a culture of evangelism so that some of the people we love might hear and believe and call and be saved. And that will be a really great year, won't it? For our good and for God's glory. Let me pray. Father, how are they going to hear? How are they going to believe? How are they going to call? How are they going to be saved? Well, here we are, Lord. Send us. Put the sweet gospel story on our lips and help us share it with the people you put in our path. Help us have courage to invite them to study the Bible with us or even to come to church or a small group or to meet with us before or after work or school to learn that old, old story of Jesus and his love. Help us have a culture of evangelism here where we're all looking out for each other. We're all rooting for each other in evangelism. We're all praying for each other. Help us trust not in our gimmicks, our methods, our, our strategies, our answers. Help us trust in you, the God who saves. Because, Lord, we want our friends to be saved. And this is your plan. So do great and mighty things in our midst and build your kingdom here. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?